Well, thank you for your singing this morning, and take your Bibles, if you will, again to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, we have just this week and next week, and then we will leave chapters 9 through 11 um, behind us, having understood the role of Israel yet, and God's fulfilling His purposes and His plans exactly as He had promised to Abraham. And yet, in a miraculous way, there was a mystery called the church. And that is where we are at today. And so in Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 25, we have come to this point, this last portion in the book, uh, or chapter rather, of chapter 11 in the book of Romans. And I want to ask you a question. Is there a way to know the future? Is there a way to know the future? Well, some claim they know the day, the hour, and the minute of Christ's return. Usually, those guys go into hiding the day and the hour and the minute that Christ doesn't return. And yet, there is something that we do know. We do not know the exact moment, but we do know the timeline. We do know what will take place, we just don't know what all will take place and when it all will take place. And so as we begin to recognize the events of Israel, we do know that the events that God promised will indeed happen. And of those, we can be absolutely sure. And so what are they? Well, some of those we are going to look at today. But the promises that were made to Abraham will all be fulfilled. And one of the wonderful things about singing There is Power in the Blood is the reality that the new covenant was ratified because of that. And by the blood of Christ, not only was salvation brought to you and I, but the promise that God would fulfill all of His promises was made again. And God limited Himself to those promises in Jeremiah 31, ratified them in the Gospels, so that you and I can sing of His incredible mercy today. And so that you and I know what's going to happen yet, and therefore we will not be surprised when it comes. Not Our central idea this morning is not only is God able to restore Israel, He has made it clear that He will indeed restore Israel. So not only does He have the ability, as we've been looking at all through this passage, God has the ability to restore. Not only does He have the ability, but He has also made it clear that He will do it. And when God says He's going to do it, you better believe that it's going to happen. And we're going to see some of those effects this morning. So let's go ahead and we will ask the Lord's blessing on our time and His Word as we've read part of it already this morning. Let's pray. And Father, we do thank You and praise You for the privilege that it is to bow our heads before You again. Lord, as we recognize the thrust of this passage is somewhat of a conclusion of what Paul has been saying all through these three chapters, I pray that we would not minimize the role of Israel in this day and age. That we would not subject the aspects of the church over top of the aspects of Israel. Lord, we praise you because in recognizing that you are faithful to your promises, we recognize that you are faithful to us who are Gentiles. And you're using us Gentiles to display mercy and grace to your people who are rebellious and obstinate. Lord, as we continue to move through this passage, I pray that you'd give us an understanding of your word, that you'd give me the words to speak, and that we would be changed by them as we recognize our continued role and Israel's role as well. Lord, we especially look forward to next week as we give you the glory and the honor in the worship of everything that you have done. We recognize that your purposes are doxological rather than redemptive only. 
and we give you the glory and the honor for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We begin to wind down these three chapters on Israelology. And as we do so, Paul desires that we have a clear understanding that God is not, that God not only has the ability to restore, but He is indeed going to restore. So we begin with the partial hardening. And we're going to start there this morning with Israel's partial hardening. They have, uh, Paul wants to remind us that Israel has been hardened by the Lord. And so therefore, we should not be arrogant. We should not be conceited as he started instructing us last week. And then we're going to move into a recognition that remain that are Israel's only. One of the blessings and the uh, promise that is given to us as a church, as Gentiles, is that of eternal life. First John tells us that the promise is eternal life. The promises belong to Israel. And so we're going to look at the promises that remain, at least in part, And finally, we are going to understand God's provision of mercy. You and I are partakers of God's incredible mercy. But because you are partakers of God's incredible mercy, you have an opportunity to demonstrate it to Israel so that they can be recipients of God's incredible mercy as well. And so we begin in verse 25 with this partial hardening. Romans chapter 11, it says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You see, as we begin to understand Israel's partial hardening, first we have to understand a mystery. And there's really two of them, although they're connected in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the age of the church was a mystery. It was not known. And now in the New Testament, we have two mysteries. One is the church, Ephesians chapter 3. The other one we're going to get into, and it's tied directly to it, that we're going to get into in just a moment. But again, Paul turns to his Gentile readers, and using the word for, he is connecting back to a statement that he made in verse 20. So we need to go back to 11.20 and understand what he's saying. And actually, let's go back to verse 19 to pick up some of the context. Remember, this is a passage from last week, the olive tree, the natural branches being taken out, the wild branches grafted in. Verse Uh, Verse 19 says, you will say then, branches are broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for your unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. Paul ties everything back that he's going to build on in this verse that we're looking at in verse 25 to that statement in verse 20. Do not be conceited, but fear. Paul begins to expand upon that as he closes out the verses that we looked at last week by saying that just as easy as the natural branches were taken out and the wild branches grafted in, so it will happen vice versa. And so we recognize that Paul wants us to understand that we should not be wise in our own estimation. We should not be conceited but fear. But then he reveals of this mystery and he says this, I do not want you to, you brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, to be ignorant of this mystery. Well, what is the mystery? A mystery in the New Testament is is not a problem to solve as a detective solving crime. There's no uh, there's no detective Sherlock Holmes digging into the depth of finding out who killed who and and who is guilty of what. No, this mystery is a truth that is previously unknown. So in the Old Testament, there was a truth that was previously unknown. Ephesians chapter 3 tells us that this is the church. And so that is a mystery. 
But in this regard, we want to understand that this is a similar mystery, but it is a little bit different. Paul wants to make certain that there is no misinformation regarding the mystery he is about to elaborate on in order that the Gentiles would not be made wise in their own estimation. And briefly, we're going to look at these in detail, but notice two things. First, continue on in verse 25. says that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. That is not the mystery. That is not the mystery. We understand that there's a partial hardening to Israel. The mystery comes in the next statement, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I want you and I who are Gentiles to understand the level at which Paul is speaking. When he says the fullness of the Gentiles, what we understand is that God will fulfill His promises. However, how long is the fullness? We don't know. So for some nut to drive around in big buses emblazoned with the date, the time when Christ is going to return, we can't. Because this is the mystery. How long is the fullness of the Gentiles? What I want you to understand as well, what I said last week, and I'm going to keep repeating it, every dispensation has ended in catastrophic failure. And that includes the church. We will end in catastrophic failure. And only the Lord knows when the fullness of the Gentiles is. But let's dissect this a little bit. Let's go back. Let's look first at the partial hardening. Israel has been hardened. And this hardening, this partial hardening of Israel, while not the mystery, is a unique and special aspect of this time as well. God has worked with His people. He has ministered among His people. He has shown mercy and grace to His people. And yet they've continued to rebel. They've continued to reject. But He has made promises to them all along that He will restore. He will restore. We see Israel moving through the Old Testament, disobeying the Lord. God sends them off for judgment. But what does He do every single time? He restores them. It would be illogical for us to believe that God is done restoring them. Because He promises when He sends them into this exile that He's going to restore them. And so this partial hardening is an understanding that God has, for the sake of the Gentiles, blinded the eyes of the Jews. The remnant is the part that has not been blinded. Notice that it's not a complete hardening of Israel. It's a partial hardening. So there's still those who have come to know Christ as Savior. We recognize that God in His sovereignty and sure protection of Israel is no secret. And it may be difficult for us to fully comprehend, but Paul has stated that Israel has been hardened by the Lord for your sake. So that you and I might receive the mercy and the grace of the blood that was shed on our behalf. The word hardened means blinded, which may even be a better English word than than hardened. God has blinded Israel for a time. But that hardening, that blinding, has only been partial. So some of Israel is still believing. And yet, this is also limited. It is not permanent. And that is what Paul is about to get into as we recognize God's timeline. Notice what he says as he finishes out verse 25. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The fullness of the Gentiles. God's timeline is perfect. But the mystery is, how long will the fullness of the Gentiles last? You see, in Daniel chapter 9, we have no gap. 
We go immediately as we're working down the 70 sets of seven years. As we're moving through those, we recognize that God ended seven years short. Only, only 483 years have taken place of God's timeline. So what happened? There's a mystery, a gap. And that mystery, Paul tells us in Ephesians, is the church. But tied in with that mystery is how long is this church going to last? The Lord laid His timeline out in Daniel chapter 9. And we know that the time of Gentiles was a mystery then, and the length of this age that we live in today is a mystery still, which we will understand in fullness when you and I are raptured. That's when this age ends. And then this age ends in catastrophic failure. You see, throughout the Word of God, the Lord has shown His unwavering timeline. Literally. There's no allegory to it. We understand that uh, they understood a literal interpretation of Scripture. They understood that God was going to literally fulfill. In fact, that is what instigate Daniel chapter 9. Daniel prays to the Lord at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9 because he knows that God will keep His word of 70 years in exile. And so Daniel prays. And God reveals His timeline. And so we ought to, as Daniel expected, a literal fulfillment of that. And as such, we recognize a warning. Each time the Lord does, as He says He will do, He will accomplish it perfectly. And Paul emphasizes His warning. The Lord knows the precious moment that this age will end. And we should know it. And we should know that it's coming as well. The hardening of Israel is not permanent. And it will come to an end. And with it, so too will the time of the Gentiles. Now, there's a couple aspects I want you to notice. First is the warning. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation. This is an unfortunate reality in the modern church. We have become wise in our own estimation. We have believed that we are greater than Israel because we have been the ones grafted in. And this has played itself out in the role of the way we've treated Israel throughout history. And it is coming again. We've had a few years of reprieve, and now it is coming again. As such, we should recognize that we should not be wise in our own estimation. We should not be conceited, but we should fear, knowing that this age is going to end in catastrophe. The point of security, though, is the second thing, and it is found here as well. The time of the Gentiles will not end too soon. This is the fullness of the Gentiles. God is not going to leave any out. It will be the fullness of the Gentiles. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to be saved because we know that that is not going to happen. But what we do know is that God is not going to leave any of the elect out. All who are chosen will be taken. And so in recognizing this reality, we recognize that God in His sovereignty understands the exact timetable. And this has happened before. We've seen this before. Israel was given the land. Abraham was given the land in Genesis chapter 13. God said, by the way, I'm going to kick you out of the land for 400 years. And then I'm going to bring you back into the land because the fullness of the Amorites has not yet been completed. Because the sin of the Amorites was going to continue on. And so God, in His incredible mercy, is allowing you and I to meet here today because the time of the Gentiles is not yet complete. But it is coming. And it will soon be. In fact, let's continue on and look at some of the promises that remain. Verses 26 through 27. And this is one that gets a lot of Bible students in trouble. 
Um, verses 26 and 27 says this, And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion and will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins. You see, first we must understand Israel's salvation. And a lot of good scholars have gotten messed up when they've come to this passage of Scripture. Because they've misinterpreted chapters 9, 10, and 11 to mean the church. And if 9, 10, 11 mean the church, that means that the church will usher in a utopia type period where all people are saved. That's not what the Lord says. In fact, He is very specific in saying that this is for Israel. The consequence of the blindness or hardening being lifted from Israel is a fulfillment of prophecy. And it is a fulfillment of the prophecy made to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. And this quote is specifically taken from Isaiah chapter 59 verse 20. But I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. Because the actual event is prophesied in Zechariah. So it was promised to Jeremiah. It was, pro- it was stated in Isaiah. And it is prophesied about in the book of Zechariah. So Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. And in Zechariah chapter 12, look at verse 10 for a moment. And write this, write this passage down and study it in context. There's a, a tremendous amount of information here. But here is this event taking place. This is what it's going to look like when it happens. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over, over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. And in that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Herodium in the plain of Megiddo. Now as we think about these events, keep your finger here because I'm not done in Zechariah. As we think about these events, we have an incredible picture. Because the incredible picture is all Israel looking at their pierced Savior and repenting. Has that ever happened to the nation of Israel? No, it has not. But look at chapter 13, verse 1. Zechariah. In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. And it will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. And it will come about that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who gave birth to him shall say to him, You shall not live, for you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord. And for his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. You see, here we have an interesting reality. In this passage, especially at the beginning, In this passage, we recognize that the Lord is going to open the gates for Jerusalem, for the descendants of David, for the inhabitants of the house of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and impurity to be removed. Has that ever happened to Israel? No. We understand from Isaiah 59 that this is to mean uh, the entire nation of Israel. 
the entire people of Israel. And the reality that you and I must face is that all Israel will be saved. But this will be at a time when Christ returns. They will see Him pierced. They will recognize Him as their Savior, Messiah, and they will mourn. So what is the reason for the mourning? The reason for the mourning will be a recognition of their rejection of the Messiah to begin with. And they will recognize the waste that has been Israel. And they will mourn. But all of those who enter the new kingdom will be saved in the same manner that sinners have been saved since the beginning. You must understand this reality as well. While the entire nation of Israel will be saved, individually, they must all respond the same way you and I have responded, by grace, through faith, to Christ alone for salvation. It's never changed. It was the same for Abraham. It's the same for Moses. It was the same for you and I, and it will be the same for them as well. And when they see Christ pierced for them, they see the pierced Messiah right before them, they will repent in droves and great revival will be brought to Israel. And as a result of that, all of them will be saved. And I believe that Paul means all Israel alive at the time will see the promised one pierced by them and for them and they will respond in faith. This is not referring to all Israel that has died already. This isn't all of those who are already passed away. They're not all saved. If you're Jewish and in this age and you have not come to know Christ as Savior, it's time to come to know Christ as Savior. But this is for those who are alive at the time. And when we look, if you still have your finger there in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, and we recognize a tremendous destruction is going to come as Israel is turning their hearts back to the Lord. And in fact, we recognize that Two-thirds of the nation, two-thirds of the nation will be killed before this time. What is this time telling us about? Well, Joel tells us that this is the day of the Lord. This is Jacob's trouble. And so it's going to take seven years for this all to take place. And in those seven years, two-thirds of the entire nation of Israel is killed. But the third that is left alive, that third will all be saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Some say that Israel is offered another way of salvation, and they try to use the words in verse 27 of Romans chapter 11 to prove their point. But this massive revival of Israel will not be something new. Salvation has is the same and will always be the same. And verse 27 just reveals that because of the covenant that was made with them. This is Jeremiah chapter 31. This is what we celebrate in the Lord's table. This is what we understand as the new covenant. And because of the new covenant, Israel, this one-third, will all be saved. Because God is going to keep His word with them. But it's not because God is going to give them another way of salvation. It is because they're going to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. They're going to recognize that the Mosaic Law was just a tutor, according to Galatians chapter 3. They're going to recognize that the law was never intended to save them, but instead it was intended to remind them of their need for Christ, their Messiah. And they will believe in their Messiah. But what about their present condition? Verse 28. Israel's salvation is among the promises that remain for Israel. What about their present circumstances? 
Verse 28 says, From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. This is an interesting statement, and it builds upon the doctrine that Paul has already laid out in the first um, several chapters of this book. Chapters 1 all the way through to chapter 8. You see, the reality is that anyone who does not know Christ as Savior is an enemy of the gospel. Is an enemy of the Lord's. And Paul says that is true of Israel as it is of the Gentiles. And Paul steps back for a moment to begin the process of conclusion by reminding us that Israel in the present time still remains an enemy of the gospel. And if you share the gospel with a Jewish person, have you ever, let me rephrase it, have you ever shared the gospel with a Jewish person? You know what you will receive? Antagonism? Sometimes downright hatred? You're going to receive hostility? Anger? Frustration? Aggravation? And that's all that you get from them indirectly. Directly, actively, they will be like all who are enemies of the gospel. And they will be disobedient, they will be unbelieving, and they will be stubborn. As we all are before we come to know Christ as Savior. But Israel especially so. Believe it or not, for one moment, can we lightly accept the sins of the people of Israel? And let me illustrate it this way. If all of a sudden Israel did something that violated the Word of God as a nation, we could not accept that. We could not continue our support. We should not continue our support of Israel in their disobedience and their, uh, their obstinate ways as they are the people of Israel. And what I mean by that is if Israel is wiped off the map tomorrow, should that change your theology? If it does, you don't have good theology. You see, if Israel is wiped off the map tomorrow, it does not change the Word of God. And so if Israel continues to be a disobedient people, and they continue to reject the things of the Lord, and they react in such a way as counter to the things of the Lord, we cannot condone that as believers. We should still stand firm, but we must not be surprised that even in Israel's terrible events taking place at the hands of the Jews, that they're sinners just like you and I. And as I said before, in relation to Gentile unbelievers, believer, you should never be surprised at the level and the depth and the depravity of sin. Because it is complete. It is total. And Israel is not removed from that at all. Just like Everywhere else, and everyone else, at the hands of the enemies, at the hands of the enemies of the gospel, is sin. And it is complete and total. But we must keep in mind that this is man's point of view. And we see right now. We see this moment. But notice God's point of view. From the standpoint of men, Israel is an enemy of the gospel, is an enemy. But what is the very next sentence? The very next sentence says this, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the promises, and the calling rather, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, are irrevocable. Here we must recognize Israel's promises. Israel's promises. From God's point of view, Israel as a nation is chosen because of the promises that were made to Abraham. Those promises were for literal 
Israel. You and I partake in one of the seven. That is, that all nations of the earth would be blessed because of Abraham. You and I partake in that. And we partake in that because of Jeremiah 31 and the new covenant, which we celebrate with this table before me. But we must recognize that all the rest of those promises do not belong to us. They belong to Israel. And they are irrevocable. His calling for the nation of Israel is irrevocable. Now, we must also understand that that does not mean that God will deal lightly with sin, as is evidenced by His dealing with Israel today. He will judge, and He will judge righteously, and He will judge justly. But whereas we see today, the Lord sees all things, and He knows all things, and because of that, because of the omniscience of God, we know that He will be faithful in accomplishing the irrevocable promises that He made with Abraham. And one of those is that the nation of Israel is elect and chosen by God. And just like our election works, God is not going to leave you behind. If you are elect, you will not be left behind. And so is true for Israel. But what about mercy? What about mercy? Because Paul, in understanding all of this, Paul recognizes the depravity of Israel right now. He understands where Israel is at spiritually right now. And he continues on by demonstrating why Israel is where they're at and what is going to happen. Verse 30 says this, For just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. Paul returns to this idea that he's been developing all along. And that is that mercy has been given to the Gentiles because of Israel's disobedience. So just because you and I are at the present time, in the time of the Gentiles, does not mean that we are any different than the Jews. Because we too were disobedient. We too were enemies of God. And so considering that the Lord will never revoke the promises made to Abraham for the people Paul reminds the Gentiles of their plight before becoming believers. He says, Gentile, you were just like them. You were disobedient. And because Israel has been disobedient, God gave you an opportunity to come to know Him as Savior. Don't waste it. And part of not wasting it, He's going to give to us in the next verse. But as a Gentile, we must recognize that we were as far from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Israel is today, even further. But because of Israel's disobedience and the promise that was made to Abraham, the good news of Jesus Christ has come to you and I. So what about Israel? Because remember we started in chapter 8 with this question, if God works together all things for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes, what about Israel? If nothing can separate us from the love of our God, what about Israel? And so now Paul says, let's talk about Israel. Verse 31. So these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. What an incredible sentence. And it backs up what Paul has been saying since the first part of chapter 10. In return, now we Gentiles are to live lives in light of the mercy of God showing love and mercy to all people, but especially to the people of Israel. Let me ask you a question. 
I don't know how much you know about church history, of the events that happened in the Middle Ages. Has the church shown love and mercy of our Savior God to Israel? No. You know what one of my greatest fears is? Because of replacement theology that has come in where the church is taking the blessings and saying that they're ours, not Israel's, I fear we're headed there again. And I see it. In the circles in which I roam, I see it happening. And it concerns me. In in return, Gentile, you have been given mercy because Israel was disobedient. In return of that, live a life in light of the mercies of God, showing love and mercy to the people of this nation. But specifically, he says, show it to the people of Israel. And by it, Israel will begin to turn until ultimately God will bring His plan for them to completion. God will be found faithful every time. We sing of the abundant faithfulness of our God. Forever God is faithful. The question is, do you really believe that? Because you sing it. But if you believe it, you will recognize that God is not done with Israel. Commentator John Stott writes in his commentary on the book of Romans, it is because of disobedient Israel that disobedient Gentiles have received mercy. And it is because of this mercy to disobedient Gentiles that disobedient Jews will receive mercy too. We detect yet again the chain of blessings as Israel's disobedience has led to the mercy of the Gentiles, which in turn will lead to mercy for Israel. Paul has done this several times throughout these three chapters, revealing the blessing, the chain of blessings. Because of Israel, now Gentiles, you can be saved. But Gentiles, your job is to make them jealous so that they too might be saved. Chapter 10. You see, Paul has done this time and time and time again. So mercy was given to us who are Gentiles. Mercy was also given to the Jew in verse 31. But we must recognize something. God's mercy is extended to all. Verse 32. For God has shut up all disobedience so that He may show mercy to all. This is something that's kind of difficult for us to handle as well. Israel's hardening is hard for us to handle, but so is this. The result of disobedience is that the Lord bound us up or jailed us in that disobedience. And He kept us there for a specific purpose. And that purpose was to reveal His mercy. And this is the reality of your condition and mine before Christ. It is not only the reality of the Gentile, but it is reality for the Jews as well. Except by the mercy of God, we would still be jailed in our disobedience. Who caused the disobedience? We did. In our sin and in our guilt. And only by the mercy of God can we be removed from that. When it comes to sin, whether you're Jew or Gentile, we're all on the same sinful ground before a holy God. And it is only by His mercy that we receive a reprieve. As we look ahead, we're not going to study these verses, but as we look ahead, notice what Paul says in verse 33. 
Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has given to him that he might be paid back to him again? That it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Why has God done what he has done? Why has God used Israel to bring a time of the Gentiles? And why is God going to use the Gentiles to bring back, to restore back Israel? It's not about redemption. That's part of it. It is about His glory. It is about the glory that rightly belongs to Him. And it is His, whether you give it to Him or not. As a Gentile, live life as one who has been a recipient of the grace and mercy of our God. So that not only that will the Gentile see and hear and believe, but so too the Jew. So that God will bring about the fullness of the time of the Gentiles and bring in the fullness of the faithfulness of His promises made to Abraham. We're going to see all of that again next week. Jewish author Stanford Mills writes, Both being guilty in God's sight, God is able to bestow His superabounding mercy upon both and thereby provide a way of deliverance from the quicksands of eternal death. Sin and its consequences gave occasion for the coming of the Messiah and His accomplishments on the cross. This, Thus, our Heavenly Father provided the only possible way in which both disobedient Jew and Gentile could be delivered from the consequences of sin. And this provision is the gospel, and it all leads, or all comes from, because of the glory of God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, as we recognize that you are not done with the people of Israel, we recognize that many times we as Gentile believers have lived lives that are conceited, that are not filled with fear. We've lived lives that have shown that we are uh, believing that we are more wise in our own estimation than we really are. And as Paul has issued this warning here at the end of chapter 11, I pray that as Gentiles we would be found faithful in living lives in light of the mercy and the grace that was given to us. Lord, Paul has built on this doctrine. He has told us all about this, and he's about to challenge us to do exactly that in chapter 12. And I pray that it would not come upon our hearts lightly, that we are responsible to make sure that mercy is given back to the Jews, that we are responsible to live that mercy that has been displayed to us out. Lord, help us not lose sight that this happens twofold. That it's through our lives to the Gentiles that they others come to know you as Savior, not just in the evidences that are seen, but the word that is heard. May we live lives in, according to the mercy that entails us speaking the word. And then those Gentiles in turn display that mercy to the Jews, that the fullness of the Gentiles might come. Lord, really, that is our prayer, that the fullness of the Gentiles will come about, that we will soon be raptured and taken into your presence. And as such, we praise you because of the wedding feast of the Lamb and then returning to rule alongside you these Jewish believers, this nation who is going to receive the blessings and the promises that were promised to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. 
I pray that we would recognize the security that we have as believers, knowing that because you are faithful to your word to Abraham, that you are faithful to us. I pray that this would cause us to worship your name. I pray this would cause us to speak glory to you, that you would receive it all willingly from our lips rather than forcefully at the end of the age. Lord, we do glorify your name together as a family of believers locally here. And I pray that this testimony, this witness, and these words would sound out through the whole earth because of the testimony in which we share today. Lord, we love you and thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.